0: Can we just lose the f***ing Canucks? No,
1: no, no, no. You're listening to Halford and Brough.
2: My lack of production is a compliment to me not cheating the game and playing the right way.
0: I, I like the fire and I like the passion, but certainly you
1: got to back it up with your work ethic. So I, I can't defend that. It's gonna be another death march.
3: Good morning, Vancouver. Six o'clock on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet six fifty. We are coming to you live from the Tech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. I say it's the Halford and Bruff show to kick off twenty twenty three. Not quite. Uh, my good friend Jason Bruff currently under the weather. Uh, dealing with a bout of pneumonia so he will be out for the next little bit however uh, rest assured as he put out on social media yesterday he is doing well he is feeling well and he will be back soon I do however have the dogs with me today a happy new year a happy 2023 to you Andy Cole aka a A
1: dog a happy new year to you as well Michael Helfer. and a
3: happy new year to you Greg Balak aka Laddie
1: well happy new year to you guys too how's everybody doing how was your new year it was very uneventful. I fell asleep before midnight. Very nice. I'm exciting, laddie.
4: Uh, it was quite uneventful for me as well. I just uh, took it easy. Same with Christmas. I just tried to be as low key as possible.
3: Halford and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari Family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. Uh, we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Uh, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over fifteen hundred five-star Google reviews, find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. While it may have been a very uneventful last few hours, 48 hours for you guys, it was an extremely, extremely eventful last 48, 72, 96 hours in the world of sports. Before we do anything, I would like to provide something of a public service and let everybody know the latest update – uh, regarding the health of Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin. For those of you that missed it last night, Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest and was resuscitated on the field during Buffalo's Monday night football game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, it was an incredibly traumatic scene, uh, inc- incredibly distressful, the kind of thing you don't often see, in fact never see, in the world of sports Hamlin was taken by ambulance to a local area hospital and overnight the Buffalo Bills released the following update. DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following his hit in our game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field and he was transferred to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. We will have more on this story and this development as we move forward. Again, this happened last night during Monday Night Football. Updates continued to pour in throughout the evening, well into about 2 o'clock in the morning Eastern time when the Bills returned to their facility in Buffalo after flying back from Cincinnati. So for those of you that are waking up, those of you that are just kind of getting up to speed with the events of the morning, that is the update from the National Football League, and from the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Safety, DeMar Hamlin, after collapsing on the field yesterday, suffered cardiac arrest and is currently listed in stable but critical condition in a local area hospital in Cincinnati. Okay, there is your update there. Let's tell you what's happening on the program today. Uh, We have a very busy show. There's a lot we need to get into throughout the course of the day, including what's coming up on what happened. Over the next 26 minutes. Our guest list begins at 6.30. Greg Washinsky from ESPN is going to join us. Greg was live at the Winter Classic yesterday from Boston. Fenway Park. Bruins beat the Penguins 2-1 at Fenway. We'll talk to Wish about that. We'll also talk to Wish about the other big Winter Classic news from yesterday. And that is that the 2024 Winter Cla- is, Classic is going to be going to Seattle. Yes, the Kraken are going to host it at T-Mobile Park. Not against the Vancouver Canucks but against the Vegas Golden Knights. That's going to be in 2024. We'll talk to Wish about all that at 6.30. 7 o'clock, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, is going to join us. Mike, of course, is a presentation of the Clayton Public House on 188th Street and 56th Ave in Surrey. You can visit them online at theclaytonpub.com. We'll talk to Mike about everything that happened yesterday, Monday Night Football, the DeMar Hamlin situation. We will also talk about everything that happened on Sunday, including the decision for the potentially playoff-bound Seattle Seahawks to get a scheduling disadvantage involving their game against the Rams, and then, of course, the now Sunday night football game between the Packers and the Lions. We'll talk to Mike about all that at 7 o'clock. 7.30, Canucks are in action tonight, folks. Yes, Vancouver Canucks, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. The opponent is the New York Islanders, a-Dog, real quick, let everybody know how many pairs of tickets we are giving away to tonight's game against the
1: Islanders. We have two pairs of tickets to give away to tonight's games versus the Islanders. And now tell them how
3: they can win the tickets. You
1: can win the tickets if you uh, t- text in your "What WhatWeLearns, t- mm-hmm. uh, hashtag WWL, Very with a t- ticket emoji uh-huh. to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 6.50. Sorry, how many tickets was that again? Two pairs. So that's four tickets in total. Four tickets. Two, two pairs. pairs of two. Not one pair. Not three pairs. Not four pairs. Two pairs. Uh,
3: ahead of tonight's game against the New York Islanders, Butch Goring is going to join us. Former Islander, now works for MSG Network, is the Islanders' uh, color man. We're going to talk to him about this team that comes in on the heels of a loss to the aforementioned Seattle Kraken. That's at seven thirty, eight o'clock. It's the Drancer, Thomas Drance, uh, Canucks Conversation, the Athletic Vancouver. He is going to join us to talk about what's the big story in Canucks land right now. Uh, it's two, uh, is, is JT a word? Is it two words? Is it two letters? The name that is at the forefront of seemingly every, every Canucks conversation right now, JT Miller, we'll talk to Drance about everything that's going on with the, uh, off maligned JT Miller. That's coming up at eight. So again, working in reverse eight o'clock, Thomas Drance, 730, Butch Goring for an Islanders preview, seven o'clock, Mike Tannier for some NFL talks, 630, Greg Wyshynski is going to join us. I mentioned it's the Canucks and Isles tonight, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. We got two pairs of tickets to give away. Get your What We Learns in now. Don't forget the ticket emoji. Uh, ten, count them, boys. Ten other NHL games tonight, uh, including Edmonton is going to be taking on the Kraken. You got Montreal and National, an all-Canadian contest. Calgary and Winnipeg are going to do battle. And the banged-up St. Louis Blues are going to take on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, a bunch of other stuff, four Premier League games, three NBA games. There's a lot on the ledger. Woo! What a start to the show. What a start to 2023. How did I do there riding solo?
1: You did really well. I'm very proud of you. Did I make any mistakes? Well, the woo at the end was piercing, and now one of my headphones isn't working. Right. I should have toned it down. Yeah. I mean, a little Rick Flair
3: early in 2023. <laughs> a little 2023. too excited. A little too excited to be here. Uh, that is what's happening on the program today and tonight. But now, gentlemen, we need to tell everybody what happened.
2: Hey, did you guys see
3: the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... Now, there were a lot of things that happened with the local hockey squadron. You are listening to Sportsnet 650. This is your home of the Canucks. A lot of things happened with the local hockey squadron whilst on holiday break. But it seems as though when you got back and you looked at the grand totality of everything, and with a recency bias, the story was JT Miller. JT Miller, JT Miller, JT Miller. Everywhere you looked, there were JT Miller stories. The local newspaper, your local favorite website, sportsnet.ca, Hockey Night in Canada talking about JT Miller. Everybody is talking about JT Miller. Why? Well, as is the best way to often do things, let's run through things chronologically here. Let's just go back to Thursday. We'll take a snapshot of what exactly transpired. Thursday in Winnipeg, as you all well know, Canucks lose. Canucks lose 4-2 to the Jets in Winnipeg. Uh, the loss was a story in and of itself, but the real story, and let's be honest here, is near the end of the game when JT Miller was yelling at third string netminder Colin Delia, and I can already see local goalie union card-carrying member Greg Ballack shaking his head negatively. In the background.
4: It was more of a chuckle than a, than a head shake.
3: I'm going to ask you for your thoughts in a second, oh. but I want let's let JT have his say first. So Miller very, very aggressively uh, drops an F-bomb and starts slamming his stick on the back of the net to tell Delia, hey, we're losing to the Winnipeg Jets. Get out of the net. We need an extra attacker. Uh, it was picked up, of course, on camera, replayed billions of times on social media. Not a good look for JT Miller. Regardless of what you say about his passion and his energy and his drive, and sometimes it boils over into frustrations, that's all well and good, and I'm sure this stuff happens all the time. You just don't see it all that often in the National Hockey League, and that is why that clip went viral and got played so many times. Guys get angry all the time. Guys don't get angry all that time. That demonstratively and caught on camera. After the game, JT Miller was asked about his blow up at Colin Delia let's play that audio now here's what Miller had to say on Thursday night
2: well unless it's inside our locker room I don't think anybody's opinion really matters to be honest with you um it's not coach's fault I don't even know why this is even being talked about maybe I shouldn't have done what I did but it's not out of anger I was letting him know to go to the bench I have full control of the puck that's all it was and at the end of the day it probably looks optically not good so people with other opinions I don't really give it. you know Uh. care
1: you're right, JT. Optically, it did not look good.
2: Laddie, when you saw this happen...
1: I like how he had to stop himself from swearing, though. I, I just got to throw that in there. I appreciate that. I
3: thought he was going to go for it. Yeah, me too. He's like, I'm already into it badly, optically. Yeah. I may as well make it badly sonically as well. But, okay, you're a goalie. You see this happen. What's running through... In the, in the exact moment, what's running through your head?
4: Well, if it's a end-of-game situation, like if it's a delayed penalty, it's the goalie's prerogative to just go to the bench, right? You just make that decision yourself. When it's the end of the game net pull for the extra attacker, mm-hmm. you're just looking at the bench. You're waiting for the signal right. from whoever you're you're looking at, whether it's the coach or a lot of times it's the entire bench just telling you to come. So it's
3: not just one guy no, yelling at you from behind, smashing a stick on it's the It's usually, back. no. <laughs> okay,
4: good. Generally, it's not somebody on the ice is usually what it's coming down to. Your eyes are on your bench because mm-hmm. you're looking for the signal. Right. You're not looking at the puck or your teammate carrying the puck because that's... That's not the person that's going to tell you to go to the bench most of the time.
3: I'm a big code guy. I love a good code. Love the unwritten rules of sport. Uh, that dynamic, because Miller downplayed it as like it's just something that happens between teammates. I think Delia did too. He quickly he played into the code and he jumped to the defense of his teammate. But the re, I think the re- there's two reasons why this play, this clip went so viral. One, it's JT Miller, very polarizing guy. Two, I don't. I've watched a lot of hockey, especially at that level, and I don't remember seeing something like that all that often. In fact, I have a hard time remembering the last time I saw anything even remotely close to it. The code says don't do that. It's almost like showing up your goalie.
4: Not that demonstrative, at least. Yeah. I've, I've had people on the ice be like, go,
3: go, like, because
4: the, the signal's happening. It's sure. time to go. I've had that. I've never had somebody get angry and tell tell me to get out of the net. That's not something I've witnessed or i have had happen to me. So that's, that's probably why. It's funny that JT said in his quote, I don't know why we're talking about this.
3: Maybe it didn't look good. Well, maybe that's why we're talking about it, JT. I think you hit the nail on the head. So, So, uh, we got to see the full Monty of JT Miller over the weekend leading up to the New Year's Eve game against Calgary. And it was in Calgary where we got to see the other part of what makes the guy so frustrating. Um, I could put it as a rather leisurely back check on one Flames goal and an eventual 3-2 loss to Calgary in Calgary on Saturday. Uh, There was also a very questionable line change, both him and Bo Horvat, on another goal. So JT Miller in the scene, either the main character or a supporting character in a pair of goals against, against Calgary. So you really got to see the full scope of why fans and media and everybody else tend to get frustrated with this player, especially this season. Now, the timing for Miller's, let's call them gaffes, the timing for the gaffes, was not great because it's coming off the incident with Delia against the Jets. And he's doing it on national television Saturday night, New Year's Eve, Hockey Night in Canada. And not surprisingly, the panel, Kelly Rudy, Kevin Bieksa, and Elliot Friedman had a fairly lengthy venting session where they really took Miller to task. Now, this is a snippet of a conversation, so it's going to jump back and forth. Um, Try and pay attention because this is almost everyone on the panel weighing in and universally agreeing that whatever Miller is pulling right now is not okay. This is from hockey night in Canada on Saturday night.
0: I think the concern in Vancouver Kelly is that that's not the first time it's happened. I I think everybody can understand you having a bad night or a bad day. We all have them. It's just too often.
3: It it has to stop. Worst part is I really like him. I think he's valuable, but Mm -hmm. you can't do those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And is it true, Elliot, that they've kind of thrown in their chips with him as opposed to Bo Horvat? Look,
0: they signed him. Uh, He got a seven-year deal. I think at this point in time, everybody sitting here saying it would be extremely surprising if they could find a way to get Horvat done. And a lot of ways, I still Mm. can't believe it, Ron. Mm. I don't think you can easily move away from top centers in this league, but that's where we're going. You want to know? That? I can't. Well, I mean, I can't defend that. I defended right. the the first one in the pregame because I think mm-hmm. I think you can be hard on your teammates, and I think if you're a five hundred team and you're you're mediocre, I, I like the fire and I like the passion, but mm-hmm. certainly you got to back it up with your work ethic. So I, okay. I can't defend that.
3: You've got to back it up with your work ethic, and that's something that we nearly need to focus on here, because I don't want to make this conversation about singular moments or bouts of frustration or the demonstrative nature in which Miller went after Delia, right? There's a couple texts coming in here that said, you know, don't call him out for his being being passionate. And I feel like, okay, if you want to have that conversation, almost exist in a bubble right now, because this is a big picture conversation about Miller at this point, is it not? Like, hey, dog, we were going over this on the text thread yesterday. It seems as though that there are so many different elements where Miller either rubs somebody the wrong way, frustrates someone, annoys someone, or refuse to acknowledge that there's an issue at hand here, right? The passionate outbursts aren't a problem because that's just who he is. And we'll get to some of his comments about his actual on-ice play, but apparently that's not a problem either. I get a growing sense of frustration that it's like, there's a lot of crap that you have to take with this player.
1: Yeah, I just... JT Miller bothers me because I feel like he, and he, you, you alluded to it earlier, he doesn't back his play up on the ice defensively. Like, right. he, the way he acts on the ice, he hasn't earned that right. Until he stops giving the puck away, until you could trust him in your own zone and he plays a good 200-foot game, he, he has to just sort of bottle it in. I know that's tough. He's an emotional guy. Wears his heart in his sleeve. That can be an admirable trait at times. Mm-hmm. But until he starts to play... a, a, a Per- not perfect, but a solid two-way game, which I don't know if he can. It's not the kind of player that he is. But at the very least, until he stops giving the puck away, he's got to tone it down because it's just a bad look. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not in the locker room. I don't know how his teammates feel about him. But I got to feel that there's got to be some friction there based on, you know, calling a goalie out when you yourself is not are not trustworthy in your own zone. To me, that just looks bad.
3: A-Dog, you beautiful bastard. You set this up so perfectly because there is a sense of accountability. That comes into all of this. And I'm not sure whether Miller truly hasn't. But speaking publicly. He seems to think that his play. Down the middle. Is A-OK. Aces this year. So this is the postscript to everything that happened on the weekend. Monday, yesterday at practice. After the outburst against the Jets. And the lackluster play against the Flames. Miller's bumped down. To essentially the third line center spot. And his wingers at practice. Are now Sheldon Drys. And Connor Garland. That's where Miller is expected to start tonight when the Canucks take on the Islanders. By the way, you can win a pair of tickets to go see that. Two pairs of tickets.
1: Two pairs. Two pairs of
3: tickets. This is is an obvious reaction from the coach in my mind anyway. Like, you didn't play very well against Calgary. We're knocking you down the lineup a bit. On Monday after practice... Miller was asked about his transition to playing center full-time as opposed to a bunch of the wing that he played last year, uh, about adding defensive responsibility and maybe if that's impacting his offensive game, his 200-foot game, all these sorts of things. A lot of people were taken aback at how Miller responded to uh, his, his assessment and his analysis of his play this year. Let's play the first clip here. This is JT Miller speaking to the Assembled Media yesterday talking about his play down the middle at center this season.
2: Well, I honestly thought it like the last month or so, I mean, I haven't played a lot of center, but the last couple weeks, I've been playing really well at center. I mean, I'd like to say that my lack of production is a compliment to me not cheating the game and playing the right way. You know, I haven't been on for a lot of against and, you know, played a lot of hard matchups in there and thought everything was coming along in the right direction. It's, it's a little tricky when you're bouncing around on every line here, like every on a nightly basis. But, um, you know, I feel really comfortable there. You know, the first seven, eight games of the year were kind of a crapshoot there. I didn't feel good about my game or, like, just comfortable. And, uh, but, you know, since then I I feel good there. Um, You know, I kind of like the strides that I'm making at a 200-foot basis.
3: Likes his 200-foot game. Uh, I think some of the lack of offense is due to a renewed interest in the defensive side of the puck, I suppose. Laddie, what was the stat you just threw out there? Uh, Six
4: points in 13 games in December.
3: So the production is down a little bit. I believe Miller's on pace for 68 this year. So not not a horrible offensive campaign by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's got 30 points through 37 games. But he alluded to a few different things there. Constantly shuffling lines, bouncing back between the wing and center, going between different line mates. Now, it was an interesting response, and a lot of people took issue with it. Miller was then – the follow-up question was asked. Uh, about your frustration level, JT, because you've shown it. You're very demonstrative on the ice. Frustrations about things that happen on the ice, your style of play. And again, Miller kind of balked at the idea that he's a guy he did acknowledge that he's a guy who is emotional and wears his heart on his sleeve. But stop short of really offering a ton of self critique with regards to how he's playing the game right now. Uh, JT Miller on his frustrations this season.
2: It's the same as I tell you all the time. I have a common goal and that's to win hockey games and I don't care if I have 35 points this year or 99, it doesn't matter to me. I think if we're all playing the right way, everybody's going to look good. And, uh, yeah, right now we're just making it too, as a team, making it too easy on on our opponents. And we're giving them too many things versus making them earn it on a, you know, not all the time. But, you know, that's the point is doing it consistently. And, you know, I carry frustration as a player. Like I said before, it's probably not going to change. I'm trying my best to hold it in, but there's some times where it's hard, so.
3: So there's a lot of questions to be asked uh, ahead of tonight's game. And then with the season moving forward, I don't know what direction things go with Miller from here. I suspect they'll go largely in the same direction. He seems as though that he's entertained the notion of trying to be um, less emotional, less passionate, less feisty, less grumpy. And it doesn't seem as though any of that's going to take. He seems to be a I am what I am kind of guy we will be very curious to see what the organization does moving forward with regards to public comments, maybe as Jim Rutherford spoke as well, and we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. We'll circle back on this conversation in the 8 o'clock hour with Thomas Drantz from The Athletic as well. Uh, we can talk to Greg Wyshynski about a little bit of this as well. Some questions to throw out there for the listeners as you maybe, maybe try and think about what we learned to win a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Islanders tonight, 7 o'clock Rogers Arena. Does Canucks management really believe everything they're saying about JT Miller publicly? Or did they make a huge commitment and now they're refusing to admit that in real time it's blowing up in their face? Do they honestly believe, and this is from Jim Rutherford himself in an interview with Ben Kuzma, do they honestly believe that they can turn JT Miller, a 29-year-old guy, into a two-way center with just a little bit more time? Rutherford said it might take the entire year. So all these questions and more, we'll have lots of Canucks talk throughout the day. It is what happened. I do want to get to two
1: more things. Uh, Dan in Fort St. John says Miller might not get a Selkie nomination, but he will get a sulky nomination. <laughs> is, that wow. you two, is that what
3: you two were like? No, I that's not what and, I was laughing at. I that. looked over and I saw you guys chuckling. No. I'm like, there's something in the in-basket. I'm going to focus. I'm not going to look. Who was that, Dan it's, in Fort St. John? Yeah. Kudos, buddy. That's a good dad joke to kick off 20. There was a different
4: one I was laughing. I'll tell you in the break.
3: Okay, good. Okay. Uh, we do need to mention Connor Bedard right now. Uh, with all due respect to every other participant in the World Junior Hockey Championships, is anything even coming close to this, the Connor Bedard story? That's a, this even is a level of domination close.
1: I've never seen in my lifetime. So, I've never
3: seen it. Connor Bedard yesterday, for those of you that somehow missed it, pushed Canada. To the semifinals of the World Junior Hockey Championships in the Maritimes, scoring at 517 of overtime. An unbelievable individual effort in what's been a tournament that can be classified as an unbelievable individual effort. Canada beats the Slovaks 4-3 in overtime. Uh, Bedard in overtime Deeks past three Slovak players en route to scoring. He also scored the first goal of the tournament. So here's what Connor Bedard did yesterday. In the quarterfinals of a tournament that he is still alive in and has two more games to add to these totals, Bedard moved past Eric Lindros to become Canada's all-time World Junior leading scorer. He also topped Jordan Everly. Jordan Everly, sorry, Did I call him Everly like the Everly Brothers. That's not it. The Everly Brothers. Jordan Everly uh, for the most goals ever in a combined World Junior career. He now has 34 points. In 14 World Junior Games, that's the most all-time by a Canadian. He also has the national mark for 13 assists all-time. He also passed Yarmir Yager for the most points ever by a player aged 18 or younger at the tournament. So just to be clear, Connor Bedard is rewriting history in real-time at this tournament with a performance that is, I think it's masking a lot of things. One that I don't think this Canadian team is that great.
1: No, he they're good, but he's making them great. <laughs>
3: right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I know that they badly outplayed and outshot the Slovaks yesterday in a great goaltending performance on the, on behalf of Slovakia yesterday, but um, it's almost like this this tournament, the narrative is now so fully shifted to the Bedard show that it almost doesn't really matter what the rest of the team looks like or what the opponents look like, because you're basically must-watch television. I just tune in to see. I can't
1: believe he was able to pull off a move like that in the biggest moment. Like, all the pressure's on you, all the stakes are on you, and he just calmly just walks it in and pulls that incredible move. Like, it's unbelievable.
4: I think Slovakia was a little tired at that
1: point. Yeah, they they So was Bedard. Bedard had nine shots on net, as I understood it. That's
4: par for the course for him, though. Check out the WHL shooting leaders right now. Yeah. And I think he's pretty much double the next closest shooter, shoot,
3: as I've been told. Y- well, shooter, shoot.
4: Like the Gretzky quote, right? You, yeah. you miss 100% of the shots. That was a he Michael does. Scott quote. Oh, sorry. Scott yeah, it was Michael yeah. Scott.
3: Come um, on. I will say, I saw a couple people mentioning that the fact that he actually went to the Deke on the game winning goal was of note because he had been so reliant on shot, 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 shot. That little John? He's
4: got a pretty good one.
3: Yeah, but it, it was just like a good, good cerebral idea there. To when everyone's thinking shot is to go to the not one, not two, but three deeks.
4: Oh, it helps that you can move like that too. When it does. You can, does. You can mo- pull off a move like that. Yeah.
3: Uh, so we'll talk to. I want to ask Wish because he just did some updated draft rankings. Um... Ask him about what's the worst case scenario for Bedard in the draft. Where's the worst possible place? That's what we well, do here. Well, Arizona, right? I mean, well, there's be. some other options. I think a lot of people would be infuriated if it was Chicago.
1: Well, yeah, I, bu- I would be angrier if it was Chicago, mm-hmm. but it would be de- more depressing if it was Arizona. <laughs> I think if a lot of people saw him go
3: to Columbus or Anaheim, they'd be like, "Boo, lame! What a terrible place for him yep. to end up." So that's what we do here at the Halford and Broughfield. But Brough not here. I feel like I have to take the negativity torch. You do, and think about what's the worst. Possible thing that can happen in this moment of of really great moments with Connor Bedard. Now, uh, before we go to break, I do think it's appropriate that we end on a note kind of reflecting what we saw yesterday during Monday Night Football with DeMar Hamlin collapsing on the field, receiving CPR, suffering cardiac arrest, and then going to a local area hospital. He's in stable condition, uh, critical but stable condition right now at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. Um, for anyone that was watching it, it was extremely jarring. And at the immediate onset, there were a couple of replays shown to the national television audience because I don't think anyone really understood exactly what was happening. And in real time, I think a lot of people were only slowly coming to the realization that this was a grave, grave situation playing out on the screen. <clears throat> I give a lot of credit to a lot of the broadcasters that were working yesterday. Uh, that we're trying to um, relay to the audience what was going on, but also try and understand that this went well beyond the football f- field, well beyond athletic competition, and to a 24-year-old guy who was playing in what might have been one of the biggest games of his career. Uh, I'm going to throw it now to Ryan Clark, former NFL player, and just to get a sense of what the emotion felt like in the moment. This is Ryan Clark essentially talking when all we knew – about DeMar Hamlin's health was that he had been taken off the field in Cincinnati to a local area hospital via ambulance. This is former NFL player turned to analyst Ryan Clark on ESPN yesterday.
5: When DeMar Hamlin falls to the turf and when you see the medical staff rush to the field and both teams are on the field, you realize this isn't normal. You realize this isn't just football. And so many times in this game, and in our job as well, we use the cliches, you know, I'm ready to die for this. I'm willing to give my life for this. It's, it's time to go to war. And I think sometimes we use those things so much, we forget that part of living this dream is putting your life at risk. And tonight, you know, we got to see a side of football that is extremely ugly, a side of football that no one ever that side of football that no one ever wants to see mm-hmm. or never wants to admit exists. When you see both teams on the field crying in that way, your first thought is DeMar Hamlin. Yep. The second thought is his family. And this isn't about a football player, right? This is about a human.
3: You're listening to the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Thirty-five on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody! Happy New Year, everybody! Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Although it's just the Halford part of this, uh, my colleague, my co-host, my good bud Jason Bruff, still under the weather. He threw it out on Twitter yesterday. Dealing with a bout of pneumonia, but he's going to be okay. He's on the mend. He's excited to get back into the saddle. He sent us all notes yesterday. Wasn't that nice? Wasn't it a sense of normalcy? Yeah, I was like, shouldn't you be sleeping right now? Like, come on, man, what are you doing? The exact lead was, I'm bored, talk about this, please. Yes. I think he just wanted us to set the table for when he gets back. Probably, So yeah. that the narrative had been crafted.
1: Yeah, just to I- spite him, we won't talk about anything he wants. <laughs>
3: you are listening to the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford & Brough in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, there was an outdoor hockey game yesterday, everybody, that little thing called the Winter Classic. Uh, Joining us now, I don't know if he's still there or not. We'll find out in a second. Our good buddy from ESPN, Greg Wisniewski, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. Good morning, Wish. How are you? Let's see. It's uh, a slate gray sky, kind of chilly
0: weather. Everybody looks miserable, and they're all eating Dunkin' Donuts. So, yes, I'm still in Boston.
3: Sounds like somebody's Uh, in Massachusetts.
0: (laughs) It was fun though, man. Like. So the the, what the NHL outdoor games have long ago crossed the Rubicon of becoming a thing where it's no longer for the national audience. Correct. It is much more for the people that are on site in, in the city itself where it's happening. They treat it with import. They treat it like a massive thing. And even if it, it doesn't necessarily take over the city like it used to, if you're on site and you're at the fan fest, you're at the game, it's a real big deal. And, you know, you're buying a bunch of gear and you're buying a bunch of beer and like, it's it's a moneymaker and it's a it's a really fun time. So I never get tired of these things. I know that for a lot of people the bloom's off the rose when it comes to NHL outdoor games, but um I'm I'm like one of those freaks that'd like to see more of them each year, to be honest with you.
3: No, I'm kinda with you because I, I think one of the things I don't know whether this was intentional or not or whether it was a foisted upon them, but I feel like the NHL kind of moved to embrace the regionality of it. Like, okay, this isn't going to be a January 1st bowl game type thing for us anymore. Like once people had seen it, it was going to be, well, how can we make this as cool as we can for one, the people in attendance? Cause that's a big thing. And then two a regional aspects. So like yesterday that was a Boston thing, right? The guys coming out in their old school Red Sox uniforms, they were all dressed up like uh, Smithers, and Burns coaching the softball team, like it was cool, right? It was good. Um, and it just kind of felt like that's okay, that this isn't what it used to be, but that's not a problem. And uh, we'll get to the – there are going to be more outdoor games, including the one in Seattle in 2024. Yeah, so
0: you're right. And, and I think that, um, you know, part of that all is, is the fact that the novelty of playing hockey in a, in a stadium has sort of become normalized. I think part of that is the, uh, the thrill of, of the venue – is is sort of uh, intermittent. I mean, like, I still think it was really cool there was a hockey game in the Cotton Bowl, and and that game arguably was much more about where it was being played versus the teams that were in it. I think if you put a game in Florida, you know, there's no iconic outdoor stadium. Maybe, the I guess, the the Orange Bowl might be one, I guess. But, like, there's no iconic outdoor stadium in Florida, but just playing an outdoor hockey game in Florida, there's novelty to it. And so, like, there's still some locations where you can do this thing, and the location itself is going to drive interest. Lambeau Field, obviously, is still the white whale, I think, for the NHL, right. and doing a game there. Probably have to wait for the Blackhawks to get good again before you <laughs> go play a game again there. So, like, maybe after they draft Bedard. Um, but <clears throat> but you're right. Like Embrace the regionality. Don't pretend that this is going to be something that is going to attract a massive casual audience like it used to in the first few years of it, and just go have fun with it. The Seattle thing, that's a... <laughs> the Seattle thing is is something I was hip to at the Board of Governors. I, okay. I kind of kind of figured out the, the, the where and the when of it. Um Vegas as the opponent is kind of a fun thing in the sense that like uh it's a it's a matchup that might draw some you know, drive by attention for the two newest teams kind of facing off each other, like maybe try to develop a rivalry between the new kids on the block. Um I did hear something really interesting about Vegas, though, okay. um, and and an outdoor game there, which is that. So the Raiders Stadium is not uh, retract fully retractable. The roof yep. it, it opens. You can open like a big window on it, but it's not fully retractable. Um, and so there's a hesitation, from what I gather, about putting a game in Vegas because. <laughs> people kind of didn't like the game in Vancouver where it was an outdoor hockey game played indoors basically. And right. so there's this notion of, we just want to hold these games in open air stadiums or stadiums that can have full open air and not do one where it's just a little bit of a, a sliver of open air. And um, and so that that's the interesting challenge with Vegas. I think, I think this is a way to get Vegas in one of these games, knowing that it may not happen for them until I don't know, the Oakland A's move there or something.
3: Well, you mentioned the Vancouver <clears throat> aspect to all this, and three guesses what the response was locally here in Vancouver <laughs> to learning that the opponent in that outdoor game in Seattle wouldn't be the Canucks, but would rather be the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, I, obviously, there I, I don't know if it was echo chamber stuff because I tend to focus on certain aspects of Canucks Twitter, but there was a there was a large enough majority, for me anyway, that were uh, irate about it to the point where I would mention it. Now, could you please explain to everyone why the Canucks just don't really make sense uh, in that particular game uh, when you could, like you said, bring Vegas into the fold?
0: Yeah, it's real simple. How, how many teams, not named Vancouver, I'm not, sorry, not named Montreal or Toronto, have appeared in the Winter Classic? Right. That would be none teams um, and and the reason is is that it's it's always been an American television event. Its inception was Amer- an American television event. The NBC, John Miller, uh, an executive for NBC, is is one of the guys credited with inventing the Winter Classic, um, and, and so it's always been about trying to create a matchup that was going to be on January 1st or January 2nd for an American television audience, and. You know, it's it's going to be hard enough, I think, to attract uh, a casual fan with the Seattle Kraken, who, unless they, you know, make the playoffs and do some interesting things, don't really resonate necessarily right now with the fans. Um, but it would be even harder if it was the Kraken against the Vancouver Canucks, who don't really have all that much cachet with the casual American hockey fan. So regionally, rivalry-wise, makes a ton of sense. I think, obviously, the the atmosphere is going to be would be a hell of a lot better with a bunch of invading Canucks fans versus uh, whoever makes the trip from Vegas. And I do think the Vegas people will travel. I think they're nuts for that team, Um, but not to the extent that Canucks fans would. So they're they're sacrificing rivalry. They're sacrificing atmosphere, um, but they're embracing uh, another American market. And and, and again, like a newbie, a, a team that's never played an outdoor game before for a fan base that's been waiting to see it. Um, and that makes a lot of sense from a marketing standpoint.
3: We're speaking to Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Health and Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Wish, I know you were in Boston for the Winter Classic. I know that you've also had to pay attention to this Connor Bedard fellow. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, JT Miller has once again regained main character status. Here in Vancouver is Bo Horvat's turn for a while there, but now the focus is solely back on JT Miller and all of his antics. Uh, I'm curious, from an outsider's perspective, watching this all go on, do you ever tire of the drama that Vancouver constantly gives us?
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I only heard a little bit about it last night after the game. Yeah. I guess there was more... Jimmy Rutherford comments about player usage. Is that Am I accurate on that?
3: So this is correct. I'm glad you brought that up. For the, the listeners that might not be aware of what Wish is talking about, um, in response to everything Miller said publicly uh, about his play and about the way that he goes about the game, uh, Jim Rutherford leapt to the defense, I would say, of JT Miller yesterday and talked about how this transition to being a full-time center and maybe either getting or not getting the defensive side of things uh, is a work in progress and that it might take some time and an entire year to which a lot of people said, well, that's an interesting remark. And we're a little surprised that there's not a little bit more critique, but anyway, yeah, you caught the tail end of it. That's where this narrative is now gone in that Miller and Rutherford kind of jumping to the player's defense a little bit. Yeah.
0: I, I never tire of the drama. <laughs> it's like the, it's, it's like, as we talked about before, it's like the, the function is, is the, the definition of the franchise right now from, you know, the, 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 the building of the team to the building of the, of the hockey um, operations department and, and the dysfunction there and the odd timeline of the coach before the, G- all that stuff just adds up to it being just a very, very powder keggy situation. And, and, and you're right. I mean, it does, it, it feels like being on Twitter. It feels like there's a main character in Vancouver every few days. And then everybody gets to talk about that person. and, and, is it good? It's good for you. It's good for me. It's good for the people that like a little bit of trauma in this league. It's not necessarily good for on ice success or the long term success of the franchise. But um, no, it, it didn't surprise me again to see another schism, another controversy, another thing said that, that garnered attention. And, and J T. Miller, in my in my interactions with the guy over the years, is definitely somebody who. Um, has a lot of confidence in, in his game and and, uh, and, and also in, in knowing the right way to do things if you're a, a player or a
3: team. Yeah, because, I mean, you obviously saw quite a bit of him when he was with the Rangers, if I'm not mistaken, right? And you were not necessarily up close and personal, but that was a big team, big market team, and he was a highly touted draft pick with him. And it's funny because... Well, it was even, Sorry, it was even more than that. I mean, it was when he left
0: Tampa, and That's I remember having well, conversations man. with him after, after his time with the Lightning ended, about, you know, at that point, the Lightning's failures to win in the playoffs. I mean, that's, you know, kind of how the, the timeline went. And, um, you know, I want to say, I, I'll, I'll, I don't want to mischaracterize the conversation. Okay. You know, I, I, think, I think JT was a guy who
3: definitely
0: was confident in, in his performance and, and, and knows what he wants to get out of his teammates to achieve success. We'll, we'll Let's leave, leave it at that.
3: Because mm-hmm. there were some people alluding to the fact that this isn't the first time that JT Miller, we're obviously talking about the demonstrative nature in which he told Cullen Delia, the Canucks goalie, to leave the net in Thursday's loss to the Jets. This isn't the first time in Miller's career that he's kind of gotten into a, a heated tête-à-tête with his goalie. He did it in New York with Henrik Lundqvist, and that didn't end up very well for JT Miller because if you'll remember, uh, he got traded away from the Rangers. But it, it's interesting that he has kind of presented this front of I am what I am. This is who I am. I don't foresee this changing, and everyone else is just kind of left to shrug and say, "Well, uh, I guess that's what he is, and I guess that's what the Can- Canucks signed up for for the next seven years."
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Like when the JT Miller stuff happened in the off season, I do remember hearing this anecdotally at the um, during the players' tour. There was a little bit of, surpri- I mean, there was a little bit of surprise in the sense of like the, the reputation is out in the ether about him being that guy yep. and, and being sort of a, a a prickly guy in the locker room and, and, you know, and, and, and bringing him back to a team that could use some good vibes didn't really square with a couple of the people I talked to, I talked to. So you're right. I mean, there, there is no mystery with this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no mystery about him or there shouldn't be any mystery about him, having him being in the market for as long as he's been there and in his other stops. And, and he is, he is who he is. And, and again, that's not to say that it, it's always a negative. Like, I think some locker rooms could use a, a JT Miller type to stir the pot a little bit, to get people angry, to motivate people. I mean, being pissed at the guy next to you sometimes could be the best motivation in the world, right? Right. But, um, but I mean, this, the fact there should be no mystery as to what this guy is and, and what he believes and, and what he believes about himself and his
3: game. Um, let's stick with the Rangers for a second. We had a couple texts in. This is something that's kind of been percolating with all the other stories. We haven't really had a chance to get to it, but, uh, Alexis Lafreniere with the New York Rangers, healthy scratch the other night. Uh, obviously this raised eyebrows locally because, uh, his former agent is Emily Castongay, who of course is the assistant general manager in Vancouver. What's the latest on the Lafreniere situation in New York? What do you got? Well,
0: it's the debate right now over like what's gone wrong, not only with him, but also with Capocacco. I mean, like, you have two yeah. extraordinarily high draft picks that haven't necessarily panned out the, the way that, that many expected that they would. And so the, the conversation becomes the classic one about young players that haven't developed. It's a three-pronged conversation. It's one, um, are they busts? Two, uh, do they just need more time to, to percolate and, and get better? And if the answer is yes to two, then three, uh, are we serving them best? Is is there a problem within our, our structure, our function, our coaching, our player development, wherein these guys haven't necessarily achieved the success in the NHL that that they should. And, you know, it's these are usually conversations, frankly, that the Edmonton Oilers are having are having not the New York Rangers. Right. Um, but uh but it's happening in New York now and, and, and I think that that's sort of the struggle for a lot of the people that follow this team is you know, where should La- where should a player like Lafreniere be at this point in his career? Uh, are they asking too much of him? Are they putting him in a position to succeed? What is it about his game or hi- himself that needs to change in order for him to realize the potential that had, you know, tongues wagging and people looking to draft him first overall? So these are the, the, sort of the debates that are happening around a, a player that, that by this time, I, I think we all agree, should be a little bit further along towards the path of stardom than he is.
3: Yeah, I agree. That's what I'm, I'm curious about. These debates, are they leaning one way or another right now? Because I know that there's been a lot of criticisms lobbed at Gerard Gallant about how Capocacco uh, and Alexis Lafreniere have been utilized. But at the same time, I've seen the pushback where it's like, no, this is more on the players than it is on the guy behind the bench. I mean,
0: I, I'm kind of torn on it because I, I do think that he, in some cases, has put Lafreniere in a position to succeed and, and it, it hasn't clicked. Um, but at the same time, you know, there, If you're asking me where the winds blowing, the wind, the winds blowing towards criticism of drug Land. <laughs> you know, even, even here in okay. uh, in Boston, like I was having some conversations with people about, you know, people that w- had had predicted his demise, uh, even, even after last season, uh, as being someone who maybe uh, had his success propped up by a, a in year by his goaltender. Um, and then they come back down to earth a little bit. I, I still think that they're successful enough where that's not going to really be um, front, you know, front of mind for for hockey ops to try to get rid of their coach. But you know, as I wrote about, I think towards the end of last year, the X factor in New York is always James Dolan, and right. you never know from day to day uh, if he, you know, takes his eye off the Knicks for a second to see what's happening on the ice and see what's what's happening with the Rangers, if that could portend bad things for the head coach. So. I think the wind is definitely blowing towards more criticism of the way that these guys have been handled versus what they, what they've done themselves. Um, but that's not to be said, that's not to, to ignore the fact that there certainly are critics of both those players and, and them not just being what everybody expected them to be at this point.
3: We're speaking to Greg Washinsky from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we alluded to this earlier in the show, Greg, you mentioned the words Connor and Bedard, and it is a show. Really, and honestly, unlike any other that we've seen from a Canadian player at the World Juniors, I think he set every scoring record yesterday in the wind over Slovakia. But the real question now is, all due respect to the tournament, people are already looking ahead and looking ahead and looking ahead. Uh, Jason's not here. He is ill. He's on the mend, everybody, but he's ill. So I'll, uh, I'll throw this one to you. In classic rough fashion, he wanted to go to the most negative line of questioning we possibly could with regards to this. <laughs> what is the worst case scenario for where Connor Bedard lands next season?
0: Of the teams currently outside the playoffs um, that also have their first round pick, because famously the Florida Panthers uh, do not. Do not. Um, God, the worst. Well, I mean, the worst obviously would be small market Canadian. Uh, So Ottawa would be the the worst. Right.
3: Okay.
1: Um. (laughs) I'm not Um, not even going to
3: argue. I'm not even going to argue. The ones that we had on the list were like Columbus, Anaheim, I don't know what to make – I mean, Arizona would be awful because he'd be playing in front of, like, 4,000 people a night. And then we threw out Chicago because that would, that would hit different in Vancouver, obviously. No, I, see, here's the
0: thing. I, Columbus, I understand. Like, Columbus, I, I realize, is sort of like you, that's where you know, people go and, you, and they disappear and you never hear from them again. Right. Um, but I do think that that's a, a, a city and a fan base that could really, really pop as a market. If if the Blue Jackets were ever any good and, and had a player like that, I mean, like you throw him on a team with Line a and Goudreau, I mean, my God, like let's go, right? Yeah. I mean, like, it's, they're going to be they're going to be incredible. Um, Anaheim's a trickier one, man. Like even at their apex, obviously they have um, little kid little brother syndrome with the Kings in that yep. market. Um, but that being said, uh, you know, if you put Bedard on the Ducks with Zegras and McTavish and Drysdale. Like, that's a really, really good, fun team. And and there's something to be said for the fun factor and, you know, a greatest show on ice thing that you could market about the Ducks if Bedard was there with Zegers. I think there's something to that. The one, the one I, honestly, again, like, the one I want, and I know that's not what most humans want, is Philly. Um, oh. Philly's never had Bedard. Like even the best of Drew or the best of Tim Kerr, Bobby, like any of those guys, no one is close to the, this is the franchise player, put him on the front of the building level that Bedard is. And just to have Philly be that relevant and to have, a well, I I mean, listen, I'm forgetting Lindros, obviously in Lindros' case, they had that guy. I I, I didn't include him because they didn't draft him.
5: Right. 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 Um,
0: I get what you're saying. But, Right. But obviously, Lindros is that guy. But in Bedard's case, like it'd be like the guy they draft and the homegrown star. And much like, you know, when Pittsburgh landed Sid, uh, it created this groundswell of emotion about that team, Um, much of it negative and much of it I'd want them to fail. I mean, it's already always there for Philly, and it would just be magnified if they landed the generational player. So I'm I'm all in on, on the Flyers getting the dart, you know, if the Devils can't get him, which hopefully they can't because I want him in the playoffs.
3: <laughs> well, uh, do we want to discuss Chicago before we let you go? Because that's the, the looming specter of this whole thing is that Chicago's bad. They're down bad. They're going to be bad. They're going to be in the lottery. And, you know, after a few years of not being relevant, I just wonder – if this is how it's going to shake out, if it's going to be Bedard to the Blackhawks. Well,
0: that's the thing about Chicago, like leaving leaving aside all of the toxicity there. And, and you know, it's part of it is that a lot of us really load that, fran- that franchise now because of what happened there and, and the, the mismanagement. And they can try to turn the page as best they can, but there's always going to be this lingering feeling about how horrible things were under the hood for that franchise while things were, were successful on the ice. But, you know, that being said, like, it's the success on the ice is the reason I don't want Bedard there. Like, they, they've just had a dynastic run. It's like saying you want Bedard on the Lightning. Like, why? <laughs> like, they're, they're good. They've had parades. They've, they've got a legacy. Like, you know, you can live off the, the fumes of on-ice success of Taves and Kane for a little bit longer. Um, Philly hasn't won since the 70s. You know, you've got teams that are going to be in the mix that have never won. Those are the teams I want to see land bedard more than anywhere like like for example the idea of Connor bedard on the montreal canadian sickens me it just does like that's that's a legacy of a franchise that um that is, you know doesn't need bedard I, they're they're the canadiens or the right. yankees
3: of hockey they don't need bedard someone else needs bedard <laughs> Besides, I don't even know if he speaks French. (laughs) Wish. You're the best, buddy. Thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the day and the week. We will do this again uh, next week. Oh, and uh, belated Happy New Year as well.
0: Oh, thank you. Happy New Year to everybody in Vancouver. Uh, uh, And uh, happy and healthy. And I hope things are better on the ice.
3: Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. That's uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650 Hour 1. In the books for the first show of 2023, we have a big hour two and an even bigger hour three ahead. Uh, Hour two, we're going to talk to Mike Tannier coming up in just a few minutes, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, a presentation of the Clayton Public House in Surrey. Uh, We'll talk to Mike about the DeMar Hamlin situation, what happened on the field, and uh, subsequently uh, in Cincinnati on Monday Night Football last night between the Bengals and the Bills. We will also talk about everything that happened on Sunday in the National Football League, playoff clinching scenarios, the situation at hand for the Seattle Seahawks going into Week 18. That's coming up at 7, 7.30. A Butch Goring, formerly of the New York Islanders, famously as a player, now as an analyst on MSG Network. Uh, he's going to join us to preview tonight's opponent. It is the Canucks and the Islanders tonight, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. I mentioned that because we are giving away two pairs of tickets to see the Canucks and Isles uh, on this very show. In the 8 o'clock hour, we're going to do what we learned. The two best what we learned submissions, what did you learn over the last, I don't know, week in sports? We'll let you go the entire holiday break. You can go as far back as you want. All you have to do is hashtag it WWL and add a ticket emoji to your text. dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. It is the SMOLT alternative. Get those in in the 8 o'clock hour. Right around 8.30, we will uh, give away two pairs of tickets to see the Canucks and the Islanders play tonight at 7 o'clock. Rogers arena. Drancer's also in that eight o'clock hour. He's going to join us at eight to talk about everything, including uh, JT Miller becoming the main character in Vancouver over the last little bit. So it's a big show. We got a lot more to get into. Hour one in the books, hours two and three still to come. Stick around. Mike Tannier is coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.